Almighty One, Elohim, God of Jacob, my Jacob, God of our great cousin Isaac, look at me. Night after night I have sought, begged you to grant me Jacob's attention, his affection. I have fasted and sacrificed, obeyed your commandments. Like Jacob, I have forsaken our family gods and worshipped you alone. No, even as a child, even before Jacob, I saw you. You know this. I believed you were more powerful, more real, more present than the others. And now, have I been wrong? Are you no more than the Sephora totems or Beha's river spirits? Should I have prayed to them? Is that what you want? You are driving me from you, Master. This is everything to me, and you have not answered me in the way I asked. This humiliation is too great to be passed over before everyone, to be ignored by him, the one I have prayed for, longed for, in favor of my youngest sister. She will bear children first, Lord. How I long for children. She will have her own tent, her own servants, and I, I will be left to care for my dung heap of a father. Ever since Jacob drew water from our well, I felt, I knew that you meant him for me. His love for you thrilled me and confirmed that he was meant for me. Though Rachel saw him first and brought him to us, I knew that I, as the oldest daughter, was the one who was meant for him. It was I who rushed to bring Jacob a drink when he returned from the fields, but his eyes always searched for Rachel. She is my sister master, my dearest friend, and soul's companion. But now there is a constant ache in my stomach and a knife in my heart. I want to rejoice with her, but it is my right. I am the oldest, and it is my right to marry first, to marry him. Isn't it enough that she is as beautiful as the stars, while I am faithful, that she is as graceful as a scarf dancer, while I am solid? Ever since we were children, people have praised her, shining eyes and her heart-stopping smile, while I am praised for having such a jewel of a sister. And it's all true, Master. She is lovely and, and kind, and I have loved her always. She was, She is my closest friend, but... I know I'm plain. Do you think my weak eyes can't see that? It isn't a revelation to me, but I thought that you... Jacob says you know everything, that you could see the worth in me, the truth. I have beauty, Elohim. You whispered it to me. I know you did. I thought you did. You said that you had a special plan for me. I thought you did. Was I wrong? Did you lie? I have loved Rachel, Master, but Jacob is mine, and he should have chosen me. It should have been me. It should have been me. Thanks, Sarah. The story of Leah in Genesis 29. We, um, today, are continuing in our fifth of our six-part series on the gods at war. Once again, this idea, the reminder to you, this idea is that there are many gods that compete for our attention. Or there are, to say it another way, there are many things that we seek after, that, that we try to, so hard to seek after, to, to come to, to, to be a part of our life, that sometimes we seek so hard after them, they become little g-gods. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. It's in the Ten Commandments as well. I, idolatry happens... You might remember, we've been talking about this, that idolatry is something that anytime I place something else in front of God, anytime something else takes the place that God should have in my life. And today, today in our fifth of six-part series, we look at the gods of love. Let me ask you, who do you say I love you to? Who do you love? A friend, parents, a spouse, your children? Who do you love? It is a word that has become common, but, but it is a very important question. Who is it that means everything to you? 
that name or those names that come to your mind when we think about that. If we're not careful, if we're not careful with the priorities of our life, those names can, can, can move in to the place in which God wants to occupy in our life, can, can come before Him. To understand that, let's, let's unpack it a little more. And Is it possible, here's the question, is it possible that there is a person in your life, there's a relationship in your life that is somehow replaced where God should be in your life, the number one spot of your life? In Genesis 29, there is this story hinted at by Leah earlier. This story that gets our attention, it is a love story, but it's a story that uh, we really would expect to see maybe on um, reality TV rather than scripture. It's a love story that takes an unexpected turn. It begins with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, when he falls in love with a young woman named Rachel. We're going to be in the midst of Genesis 29, and we're not going to read it all in one block, but read some verses as we journey along this morning. So let's begin in Genesis 29, starting in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Jacob fell so in love with Rachel that he goes to her father Laban and says, Laban, I... I I want to marry Rachel. I know she's the the youngest. I know that Leah should come first. But here's the deal that I'll make with you. I will work for you seven years. And then I get to marry Rachel. Laban takes him up on it. We, We read that Laban has another daughter, an older daughter, named Leah. We heard a bit of her story. We're told that she has weak eyes. Now you understand when it says weak eyes, you understand that it's saying that that, that Leah is, is not as attractive to look at as Rachel. And in fact, Scripture even, even puts them against each other. There's Leah with the weak eyes, and there's Rachel, who is lovely with form and beauty. Now listen to verse 20. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days because of his love for her. Isn't that romantic? It's a reminder that sometimes love is completely irrational. Seven years. We have a hard time objectively thinking about um, those things or those people that we love. That's why, that's why sometimes when we talk about this, it really is one of those things that is difficult for us to think about and difficult to understand because our emotions get involved and, and we don't always see things as clearly as maybe we should. After Jacob serves his time, we read in verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. Not quite as romantic as the previous set of verses. He can't be too hard on this guy, though. I mean, seriously, if you think about it, seven years he has waited, a seven-year engagement. And then all of a sudden the story kind of turns into something you'd see on afternoon TV soap opera or something. Verse 22, Laban brought together all the people and a place and he gave them the feast. And when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah and he gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. You understand the implication? They had this big feast, they had this big party, everybody came in, and, it, and the implication here is that, is that Jacob had a little too much at the feast, had a little too much to drink, and, and, and old Laban, old Laban uh, takes a chance and thinks that Jacob won't notice which one of his daughters slides into the marriage bed that night. 
Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. That's got to be one of the most (laughs) big verses that you can read. When morning came, there was Leah. Weak-eyed Leah. Can you just stop for a second and think about that? He turns over expecting to see Rachel. He's been working seven years for this moment. He's been waiting. And who's there? There was Leah. So Jacob says to Laban, what is it that you have? I think really it's actually Jacob yelled at Laban. What is it that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? You have deceived me. We understand why he's upset. We get that. If you're reading the story, and the story goes on, he eventually gets to marry Rachel as well. He's got to do more work for her. But the whole thing ends up being a huge mess. Leah. Leah, who loves her husband and wants more than anything for her husband to love her. But he's not interested in her. For he loves Rachel. Leah spends her whole life hoping and dreaming of a day in which she will feel love from her husband. Really, it's her life goal. It's her life goal to win her husband, Jacob, his heart. It's what she puts her hope in. That's what she puts her time in. Those are the things that she thinks about. One of the things that Leah has going for her is that she's able to have children while her sister Rachel struggles to conceive. And so every child that Leah gives birth to, Leah thinks maybe now, maybe now, this is it. Maybe, maybe with this child, maybe he will love me. Maybe he will notice me. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again when she gave birth to a son. She said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Every time a child came along, every time he came along, she would say, maybe, maybe this is it. Finally, my husband's going to love me. Finally, this is the life I've been waiting for. Finally, he will notice me. Finally, he will be mine. What she wanted more than anything was his love. And it became that which took over her life and preoccupied her mind. Unless she could have that, she wasn't happy. I really think it is the idea of love that we worship in our culture. In children's books, we, we finish them often. They, they finish by saying, and they lived happily ever after. And we end up putting that dream on the altar and bowing down towards it. In, 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 uh, in our culture, romantic love is the ultimate human experience. It is the subject of countless books. It has inspired art and poetry. It is the subject of, of uh, all kinds of movies, especially the ones we call the chick flicks. It is the theme of almost every song that is written. Now, don't misunderstand me. These relationships are good. These relationships are, are gifts from God. God is the one who gives these things. God, God is the one who, who invented love. Marriage was his idea. He is pleased when we love our friends and we, we do life together. But the problem comes when, when those relationships get out of skew and they become more important than the God who gave them. As I was preparing for today, I was reading through some stories, and I, I ran across a, a mom who wrote that, um, that her children, she believed, had become, at one point in her life, a false god for her. In the same context that we, 
have been talking about. The, the problem wasn't that she made them too much of a priority. The problem was that they controlled her. Whether or not she had a good day was determined by her children. Her children had the power to make her angry or disappointed or joyful or happy. Now, now that happens to all of us by how we are in relationships. But, but she went on. She said it was bigger than that. She wasn't looking for the joy of the Lord to be her strength. She was looking to the joy of her children to be her strength. And she said unless they were happy, she wasn't happy. So she spent her life engineering circumstances, making everything right, getting everything in order, following around, making sure everything was okay for them. When instead, she realized that became the focus of her life rather than the God who's called to guide her life. Ultimately, nothing is more destructive to our love than to put romantic love or any other kind on the throne instead of God. It puts incredible re- pressure on any relationship where that, where that takes place because we're saying to the other person, I want you to be what, what God alone can do for me. You, you talk about pressure. You talk about trying to hold somebody to a standard in which they can't live up to. For ultimately, those kind of expectations and those kind of false gods always disappoint. If we're looking for happiness primarily in those kind of things, success, pleasure, love, or fill in the blank, they almost always lead to disappointment. God has created us and ordered our lives in such a way that He wants to be the most significant, is built, we are built for Him to be the most significant relationship of our life. And when we get that right, when we get that right, then every other relationship falls closer into line. Children, parents, friends, they, they begin to line up better than before. And so one of the questions as I think about this lesson and I think about how it speaks to us today is, is for us to just think about, are, are there some relationships in our life? Are there some places right now in which we're struggling? Are, are there some relationships where, where things aren't, aren't good? Could it be? It doesn't have to be. Could it be? Because we have our priorities wrong. We, have, we don't have God in the place where he needs to be. Now, it might not be that because all relationships have issues. All relationships have, have struggles and various things. But, but I just say this to you. Before you go to Dr. Phil or the newest self-help book to fix your relationship, would you try this? Would you try this week to give more of your attention and making Jesus the greatest affection of your life? And see what happens. What, what might that look like if delighting in the relationship you have with God becomes more of the priority of your life? It just might be that some of those areas of struggle might begin to fall better in place if I've got God in the right spot, if I find hope in Him more than anything else. We've talked a lot about that, these little G-gods over the last few weeks. We, we've understood them. We've, uh, we've even exposed some. I think we've even admitted some in our own lives that, that maybe we've had our priorities in some places and we've wanted to adjust those. But, but what do we do about that? We, we might understand that, but what do we do? What if, and that's part of the point of our time together, is to challenge us. What if, what if we began to raise God to be a greater priority than He has been in our life? Wherever you're at in the journey of where God has taken you, what, what if together we raised the, the whole harbor so that, so that all the boats would raise? What if, what if God began to be more of a priority in our life? What, 
What would we do that? What if this week we chose to praise Him above all else? What if, what if we committed, I know this is crazy, what if we committed to talk with Him more than we watch TV or surf the web or play ball? What if along the way we dwelt on Him more than anything else? I know that's a really easy thing to say on a Sunday. That's a good idea. But then Monday happens. And Tuesday and the to-do list and all of the things that take place. Why do we have this... <laughs> I guess it's our humanity. We have this ability, not just ability, we have this bent to take those things that are significant and to push them on the back burner for the things that are immediate. And we know better. We know better. What if, what if some of those things that God wants to do in us that we keep putting on the back burner, I think some of the significant things of our life are some of the easiest to set aside. What if we just chose as a part of this series and a part of this day and as a part of this week to say, no, I, I need to raise the importance of the level of my relationship and how it affects my life with God. Leah was desperate. She was desperate to find satisfaction from romantic love. Every time she gave birth to a child, she thought, maybe now. Maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now he will notice me. But it never happened. Verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah. She finally stopped looking for, uh, to her husband for the things that only God can give, and she turned to God and said, This time I will praise the Lord. And named the son Judah, which sounds a lot like the Hebrew name for praise. Leah was rejected by her father, rejected by her husband, but then finally stops expecting her needs to be met by anyone but God himself. Judah maybe is a name that you recognize. Matthew, uh, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, um, there is this list of names. It's the begat list. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. It's kind of an interesting way to be in a testament with all of these lists of people. But, but when you look at it, you begin to understand it is actually the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew 1-2 says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. The fourth son. The fourth son. Jesus was a descendant of the fourth son. The one whom she finally decided she was going to give praise to God over. God had a plan all the way along. And when she turned to God, she found hope and fulfillment. And God honored that. And Judah, that son that she gave praise over, became part of the, part of the, the uh, lineage of Jesus. But not just Judah. Leah. Leah became part of the lineage of Jesus. This one who wanted significance in her life, this one who sought after it, it wasn't until she came to that point that said, okay, I've come up against it. I will give praise now. And God honored her life in ways that she probably never even knew. In the series, we've talked about the trouble we find ourselves in anytime 
we put the primary area of fulfillment in our life in anything other than the God who created us. So this week, I, I want us to think. I want us to challenge. I want us to challenge myself. I want to challenge you. What if we spent more time seeking after God? What if, what if it became more of a priority of our life? You see, the key to not struggling with an idol anymore isn't just to ignore it and hope that it will go away. The key to not struggle with an idol anymore is to replace it with something else. What if in the midst of our struggle, what if in the midst of those things that, that hang us up, what if in the midst of, of, of some of those decisions, we just became a person who says, Lord, in the midst of this, I will praise you. What if in the midst of the struggle, and what if in the midst of, of the disappointments, like Leah, who was disappointed over and over again, finally we make a decision that says, God, regardless of circumstance, I will thank you. And I will live a life that honors you in that way. And when those moments come, we recognize the presence of Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You know, to do that, I don't think you have to take four hours uh, each day of uninterrupted in time for all of this. I, I think it just has to become part of the habit of our day, that we become people all along the day who give God thanks. We become people all along the way. When we get tripped up in some way, we say, God, I'm going to praise you in the midst of this, to whisper thanksgiving. What if at the end of your week, Somebody was to ask you the question, what did you do this week? And you were able to answer, well, I did this and this and this and that. And, but you know, you know what I did mostly? You know what I did most, more than anything else this week? I gave God thanks. What did you do this week? Man, I would love to be able to answer that question more than anything else. With all the to-dos and all the things, I just dwelt in the love of the God who who created me. I don't think you need me to tell you this. If we lived that way, that would change our lives. It would. For some of us, it would be a big change. For some of us, it would be a minor correction. Whatever it would be, it would change our lives. If, if somebody asked us at the end of the week, what did you do this week? And I got all these things. I said, oh, but you know what I did mostly? I dwelt in the thanksgiving of the God who created me. That would change our life. It would change how we look at things. It would change the decisions we make. It would change how we look at the people that we love. Why don't we do that? Why can't we do that? To be a people who just dwell in thanksgiving to the God who created. Now, it doesn't always change the circumstance. It didn't change just because Leah said, I've, I've given up, I'm going to praise you. Didn't all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jacob came around at that moment. That didn't happen. But God honored who she was. God blessed her in ways she didn't even know about. What might the trajectory of our life look different if we were able to answer that question? You know what I did more than anything else this week? I gave thanks and praise to the God who created me. Father, we do give you thanks that you are here in this place, that you are Emmanuel. And we give you thanks for, for Genesis 29 and this story, this story of Leah, of Leah who, who we can identify with as frustrated and, and faced unfair circumstances. Because I think all of us have lived in those kind of circumstances before. All of us have been in unfair places. All of us have had disappointments and missed expectations and, and all that goes with that. 
And the lesson along the way, as we have sought after to try to fix those and, and gone after trying to make things better, that nothing really fell into place until we came to that point in our life that Leah came to and says, okay, in the midst of my circumstances, I will praise you. Lord, would you help us? Help us to be people who live that way. Help us to be people who don't just just think about that on a Sunday and think, oh, that's a great idea. But God, when Tuesday comes and we come smack dab up against something, would you help but be reminded, would your spirit give us power to say, Lord, I choose to praise you in the midst of this. I choose to give thanks. I choose to dwell in the God who created me. And Lord, I know that all those circumstances won't always change. But you will be with. Help us to keep you first. Help us to find fulfillment in you first. And then anything else you give, we'll see as a gift. So Lord, I pray for my friends here today as we go out and live our life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We, we go about the stuff. We go about our families. We go about the, the, the to-do list. We go about the relationship struggles. All of those things that are part of our life. God, I would just pray that we would be a people who know your joy and know your peace because we have been spending time with you. All week long, we found those moments to say thank you. All week long, we found those places to praise. All week long, we've just said, okay, God, I'm yours. Lord, would you help us this week to be people who look more like you, who love deeper, who live grace. And when people encounter us, may they be attracted to the God who created us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Lord bless you.